Hello and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters, a podcast discussing everything Star Wars 5e. My name is Todd, I've got Tegan here, and we're looking forward to jumping into hyperspace with you. Let's go! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters Podcast, Season 4, Episode Number 12. Tegan, how are you doing today? Doing great. I use uh, my break from Invasion to finally beat Jedi Survivor, so I'm pretty happy about that. Congratulations. Awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, for those that may have not seen, there was a new Star Wars game just, well, not announced. Uh, some gameplay stuff came out recently, uh, Star Wars Outlaws, which looks pretty cool. I'm pretty excited for the time period, at least, between Empire and a Jedi and Return of the Jedi. So it'd be cool to get some more content in that regard, uh, you know, on the video game side of things. I'm super excited for the open world. Uh, I, I do wish they pick a different time period, but for the open world piece, especially the spot where you got in the ship and you could kind of fly from the ground into space, start doing space stuff, I thought that was pretty sick. So I'm hoping that would be fun to play. Absolutely. GM's worst nightmare when the players, you know, just <laughs> take off and go wherever. Welcome everyone to today's episode. We have a great conversation with our friend Aaron from Adventure Slaying Productions and going to be talking about representation in your tabletop campaign. Uh, not too much on the front end other than checking out, you know, all of our content. Uh, DungeonJediMasters.com is the best place to find all of that. This podcast, of course, YouTube channel for VODs of live plays and other tutorial videos, uh, Instagram and Twitter for content updates, uh, Twitch for live plays. Nothing going on right now yet, but soon, Tegan, you said maybe July or so we'll get Invasion Part 2 coming. So second Tuesday in July, unfortunately, July for uh, the fourth found a Tuesday uh, for this one. I'm uh, just taking a little bit of a break between campaigns, getting some new ideas brewing, and uh, we'll get occupation running uh, the 11th. That would be in July uh, and coming back going on Twitch. Awesome. Yeah. So still, of course, if you haven't uh, catch up on the VODs of that uh, of that campaign. And uh, yeah, lastly, uh, Patreon is probably our best way to support what we do and does come along with some content, exclusive content for that support. We have one new Patreon member as of this recording. So big thanks to Will at Tier 2 and of course, all of our existing uh, subscribers, followers there in that regard. At the beginning of the month, you would have seen our community-inspired uh, module, uh, Temple in the Sands. So grab that uh, for our Desert Hex Crawl that we're doing this quarter. I do believe with that, though, that's everything on the front end. So we'll dive in here. Let's bring Aaron on and uh, talk about representation. All right, everyone. Very glad to have our friend Aaron here from Adventure Slaying Productions. Aaron, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty well. Pretty well. Great to hear. So uh, fun conversation today, uh, something I'm looking forward to. Uh, but first, let's learn a little bit about yourself. Uh, we know that we're, later we're going to talk about exciting things on your end in regards to a new game that you're putting together. Uh, but yeah, tell us about your history with tabletops and what does that look like? You know, my history of tabletops, it's it's been pretty interesting. Um, I didn't really get into tabletop gaming, even in general, like board games or anything until my early 20s. I've always been a longtime video gamer, but there was not much of a board game community or even tabletop gaming community in my hometown. It was very small. And I just never ended up getting involved with the few options that did exist. It was actually when my dad, Ty, who wanted to 
run a D&D campaign. And so he's like, hey, you know, are you interested in, in playing this role-playing game and maybe getting some other people? And, and so I said, yes, of course. That sounds great. I've always wanted to try it. I just never had the chance. So um, got a couple of my friends involved and, and a couple of family members. And we had like an eight-person party to wow, start off. Awesome. And uh, yeah, it was great. We um, we ran that campaign for like two years. And I played uh, two different characters during it. During that time... I just fell in love with the experience, you know, it was, it was like, it was unlike any other sort of gaming experience I'd had before being able to, you know, you kind of like get to act your character, you get into the shoes, you make decisions and just kind of roll the story. You know, it's not like in video games, it's all like predetermined, you know, what your actions are or how the story is kind of going to go. Even board games have a little bit more of that because that's just how it is. But in tabletop or role-playing games, you know, it's very different. And I fell in love with that. And then that began to spread to board games. I became a huge board game fan, started collecting, started off with games like Blood Rage and then going into like Gloomhaven and stuff like that, you know, and always kind of centered around the tabletop role-playing experience, even playing board games, like leaning into the game's like story as a part of playing the board game, because I found that whole experience to be very fun. So um, so that was, how long ago is that now? That was 2000. 15 i think okay was when i got into that originally and so yeah eight years later here i am still playing all the time and it's a major part of my life now yeah yeah i'm working as we said you know about Mm -hmm. to crowdfund go to crowdfund a system of your own so we'll touch on that that's super awesome i love that mindset of you know even with a board game not a role-playing game of still playing into the stuff I love the thought of like really getting into character in a monopoly game like that would be hilarious absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah so, of course, uh, Dungeon Jedi Masters, we're all about Star Wars, the Star Wars 5e uh, conversion and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. What is your history or interest uh, with Star Wars or sci-fi in general? So uh, I have to be honest and admit that I have not embraced as much of the Star Wars lore and stuff as there is to embrace. Um, nothing against it. It's just the world I haven't found myself diving into. Um as much as it deserves. <laughs> However, I love sci-fi. It's probably my favorite, like broad genre, you know, compared to like fantasy and other stuff like that. And those things are great too. And I really enjoy them. The sci-fi world, uh, in terms of other kind of settings, like I'm I'm pretty into 40k. Uh, relatively recently, just kind of getting educated on the all that that is, and been play. We played like some like a space opera kind of horror. Game. I actually just got to the Aliens rulebook for the tabletop game on that. It looks really, that's a good one. I, I've been reading through it recently and it's it's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, uh, sci-fi to me is just really cool. There's a lot of themes to explore, a lot of interesting character development things. You know, we get into subjects of like transhumanism sometimes with the Android stuff or like AI. Um, you still touch back on like fantasy-esque concepts of what, you know, when you have like your adventures travel to like a relatively rudimentary planet and stuff like that, you know, you have concepts of like the, you know, corporations and the sizes that they get to, or, you know, the way that your different worlds kind of organize those. And that's always kind of interesting too. sci-fi politics, you know, like the expanse, like those things are really cool too. Um, it's just, a, it's a really, I think it's because of the, the scope is so broad in yeah. sci-fi again, kind of generally that, um, you know, you can really sort of um, engage 
much more openly, like how you want to engage with the game you're playing. I don't know, you mentioned Alien, but what are some of the other systems you've gotten into since uh, your first D&D game? Um, oh, man. So played Alien, right? Or I haven't played Alien yet, actually. But we played D&D. I got the Shadowrun 5th edition rulebook. Never played it, but I did read it, like, front to back. I so, that one's pretty complex. That's been what I was going on this. But I've heard it's like, I like I like crunch, but I've heard it's just a little... It's, little it's really <laughs> crunchy. Yeah, it's really crunchy. I, I, I read it so many times, or so thoroughly, because I wanted to understand it. And I honestly still don't really, but it is a cool system. The The lore is really cool. I like what they have going on. Uh, and then a side note about Shadowrun that is really cool is it's it's not just the tabletop role-playing game, right? They've got video games, they've got like board games. They have a lot of ways to engage with their um, setting, which is cool. Um, but what else have I played? We've done, done a couple of 5e conversions such as the um, sort of cyberpunk one. What was that? Carbon 2185. Um, that's a 5e conversion that is like really cyberpunk oriented. It's really cool. It's um, kind of similar to to Red in terms of like setting with its own kind of deal, you know, and that's always fun. What else have we played? I've played a couple other fantasy settings like Castles and Crusades. Lately, this is a little bit of sad because I haven't played any of these ones, but I've been really wanting to play the kind of role-playing games that are almost like almost silly. You know, like you play as like, oh, like kids on bikes in a way. Not necessarily yeah. that that's a silly or has to be a silly experience, but like lighthearted. Yeah. Lighthearted. Yeah, exactly. Uh, rather than trying to engage on some grand scheme, I've been wanting to like, you know, just, you know, do like the honey bear heist or things yeah. like that, you know. There's this um, a system, uh, tiny, tiny D6, I think it's mm -hmm. called. Um, it, great little just concept. I mean, it's really just, you know, rolling a D6, which I love. You can just, I mean, pick up and go, right? But it has a lot of great settings uh, to it. And one of them was called Beach Patrol. So basically a Baywatch style, like 80s, 90s thing. And that yeah. was, we ran that once and it was just a riot because it was all, you know, those classic 90s sitcom Baywatch style uh, situations and yeah, just super mm -hmm. goofy and fun. And it's really yeah. fun to do something like that every once in a while from mm -hmm. your little bit more, you know, serious tone uh, campaign that you might do. Right. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's honestly kind of one of my favorite parts of the, like at the tabletop medium is being able to have experiences that can be really dense, can be really heavy. You know, you walk through big themes and, you know, you have to make moral choices or yeah, you can do, you know, a nineties era Baywatch basic, you know, experience, you know, and just have fun with it and be goofy. And yeah, you can really, and then everything, everything in between, you know, this kind of, um, Almost any experience you want to have, you can sort of simulate through the systems that that we play. And it's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely one of the reasons I I really love the uh, the hobby, uh, the platform, if you will. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. well, let's dive into our conversation here, our topic at hand specifically. Uh, okay. You know, so we mentioned today we're going to talk about representation in your campaigns kind of in the spirit of Pride Month that we're celebrating, you know, looking at individuals in, in that regard, in that community, and then expanding it as well into diversity, ability, and otherwise. I think something that is a good, important discussion to have, and, you know, hopefully that the listeners can walk away with a little bit more confidence in doing so, you know, at their table. Um, yeah. You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm really just gonna speak for myself here, but I, you know, I'm certainly not an expert on this. But I think it's you know, hopefully a discussion amongst us three of just 
you know, providing information the best that we can from our own experiences and, and uh, you know, sharing that knowledge. I think the best way to help this is through the discussion and whatnot. So, uh, Aaron, I'll throw it over to you first, though, and ask you, you know, what does representation really mean in a tabletop campaign session to you? What does that look like? Uh, how would you define that? Really good question, because it's funny, we can see it, we can quantify it, but it's still kind of an ethereal thing, you know, what representation in the tabletop space. Um, for me, it's sort of like, you know, there's a seat at the table. It doesn't necessarily have to be occupied by anybody who feels like they need that seat, so to speak, but there, but it, that is available. There's room for, you know, people outside the, the binary gender concept. There's room for people, all kinds of uh, skin tone and origin and what have you. Um, you know, the, in my mind, when you have systems and you have settings and you have tables, which is what it ultimately will come down to, you know, is how the game is actually run. Having those options available and be, what am I trying to say? The option to play a character that you can truly relate to, yeah. I think is what I'm trying to say. You know, you can fulfill that seat at the table, so to speak, put down a character that you know, speaks to you that you're like, yeah, this, this person, you know, I get it. I can be in this role. I can, it's, it's an aspect of me, you know, that, um, that I feel comfortable and safe doing or playing, you know, here. And there is a lot of vulnerability at the, at the TTRPG table, you know, you're, you're kind of getting creative and you're, you know, you're, you're winging it in terms of what you're saying or what you're doing. You know, that's just the, the very surface level, but, you know, beneath that is we want to be able to feel safe with each other. And that we can have this experience without, um, you know, gatekeeping and judgment and things like that. And I think that's that's very important on the basis that this is probably you know, the medium itself is a very powerful medium for connection and for for vulnerability and, and for being um, and for creativity. And so when we have those doors open, you know, we just increase the, um, you know, what's available to be created and what different perspectives and, and input comes into the experience. And I, I don't know, to me, that's like most of what it's about, really. And I'll throw a little personal anecdote in here because I started playing TTRPGs before my transition. And it was actually just before. And I um, I made a character that was like of um, assigned female, you know, AFAB. She's a feminine character. And... That experience gave me, it was almost a, an angle for me to kind of dip my toes into, I guess, fully embracing myself, you know, right. and then yeah. eventually the leading, you know, beginning a transition and stuff. Um, it Because that the table that we were playing at was safe and inclusive, you know, I was able to put that character out there, you know, just kind of play the character like I would any other character. And then when I started my transition, you know, it was somewhere where I didn't have to transition to already be there. I could sort of walk through it and understand it for myself, not entirely blind, so to speak, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of, of talk about being able to utilize, the, you know, a character or whatever to feel out experiences mm -hmm. for whatever reason you want to. And, and you know, I was going to tack on, you know, why is representation important? I think you've kind of nailed that, you know, plenty there to help the players feel comfortable, you know, because they can see 
their real self within the world. Sure. And, you know, even if they're playing a different, completely different person identity, et cetera, you know, mm -hmm. having representation, uh, you know, maybe their real life, you know, helps them feel more comfortable and safe and things like that. Yeah. And maybe empathize too with experiences, you know, with, with just different experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Tegan, uh, any thoughts on your end about that? Definitely my, my biggest question would be, and especially kind of building like a, a good safe space and to be vulnerable, how would you recommend like game masters or almost everybody at the table doing so with that? I mean, that could be uh, a difficult challenge, especially for new game masters in the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, and, and I think where you mentioned there, um, it being difficult, especially for new game masters, I think a lot of it is about um, just allowing a flexibility and allowing yourself to be to learn stuff that you may not necessarily know about or be aware about. And so when your players bring that to your table, you know, it can be kind of overwhelming, like you said, as a new game master, just trying to manage the game, you know, keeping the story going, making sure you're tracking, you know, the numbers and doing your bookkeeping and stuff. When a player brings you something that maybe you're not familiar with or, or they're like, hey, can we bring this into the game? Um, I guess what I'd recommend is just, just allowing yourself the flexibility to say yes. And figure out what that means and what that, or what that needs, you know, what that needs to be for what your player is looking for, you know, if they're looking for something. And I guess don't let that concept overwhelm the experience of running your game or running your table, you know, because at the end of it, you know, you might have a moment where like, okay, how are we going to make this concept work or whatever, you know, if that's sort of the question. But when you're in the middle of play, things things will flow, and you know, the player will will actually have their experience. The experience they're looking for, so long as there's the allowance for it, you don't even necessarily, as a game master, have to um, curate it more than just uh, provide the opportunity for that experience to exist. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so some of the games you've run, like how have you kind of brought that with your players, or kind of brought some of those unique experiences up they may want to bring to the table? So, I will preface this by saying um, I'm not necessarily the greatest game master. I definitely am a player more than a game master. And I enjoy being that player who's like an experienced player who can help, you know, the story flow. But um, as a game master, I tend to be much more flexible, much more loose with things just because I get overwhelmed really easy. So when, you know, when people bring in an experience that early, like when they, you know, suggest an experience that they want to be having for me, you know, I think about the scene we're in or, or with the setting we're in that I've, that, I've, that I've painted out for them. And I'll just try to make like a quick on the fly adjustment for anything like that, that it comes up to address the, those kinds of things, I think comes back to being, uh, allowing yourself to be flexible, you know, and just sort of, um, you know, you have like a plot, you kind of want the players to, to go on, you kind of, you know, have an idea, um, but allow that to branch how it needs to. And, um, and if you're afraid of losing your plot, you know, you can always have the path kind of circle back to the main events that you want to happen um, without, um, without railroading and without also, you know, ignoring what a player is hoping to experience, you know, and session zeros, of course, are huge. Absolutely. You know, you can get, especially as a game master, you want to have that even just for an idea of what your players are expecting or, or thinking in their heads before they sit for their first session, uh, let alone all the bounds and, and uh, what they call it, lines and veils. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We, we definitely preach session zero and, and communication mm -hmm. in general all the time yes. here. I, th I think that's, you know, definitely a great way to do that. Uh, what about for a GM, you know, that maybe not specifically considering some of the, the specific experiences of the players, but just mm -hmm. wanting to kind of have a 
better general sense of representation in the world, right? Uh, you know, myself being you know, probably the least diverse here on this conversation right now, I still really try to put a lot of effort in, you know, having diverse individuals, NPCs, uh, you know, whether, whether that covers, again, mm -hmm. skin tone, backgrounds, origins, uh, sexuality, identity, etc. cetera, uh, there. But, you know, a lot of those things that I don't have personal experience in, any thoughts on how a GM can appropriately represent that stuff? in the game so it feels real and not forced or you know anything yeah. like that that's a great question um i think first off you have to be willing to i think you know when we're being creative like as people we'll generally pull from something we've experienced or something we've seen and then we'll kind of mold it into something of our own you know just kind of in the broadest sense so when we're when we're creating a world or creating an environment that we're gonna walk people through regardless of how those people are I think it helps a lot not to necessarily go for um, like the low hanging fruit, so to speak, of right. experiences we're all too familiar with, right? We're all familiar with in, in different layers, rejection. And um, I mean, that's just probably the most simplest word I can think of to describe what would be an extensive history of um, gatekeeping, rejection, abuse, and, and neg all kinds of those negative kinds of concepts that associate outside of uh, what a lot of people consider to be, you know, the nor their normal experience, right? I think it's being willing, I guess, to, to look beyond what you perceive as an individual to be like a normal thing, you know, and allow things that are, um, that are just different. You think, okay, you know, in, in the world that I live in or experience or I'm familiar with, you know, X is handled like this and X could be, you know, it could be a gender thing, it could be a race thing or it could be whatever, right? You know, we see it occur like this and then, you know, just allow yourself to say, what if it wasn't like that? <laughs> you know, what if it was something different, Right. even just right out, just in the simple, again, keeping it just simple, allowing, allowing yourself to allowing the, in, the setting you're trying to create and, and, and provide others to, to be different than maybe what you're really familiar with or even comfortable with. Right. And I love just that. kind of open that a little. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, my, my kind of perception there of what you're saying is, you know, you still bring these things in. So, you know, sexuality, race, whatever they mm -hmm. exist, but it's all about, you know, how does the world interact or perceive those things and, and whatnot. And, and I think that that's awesome to, to think about how you can change that perception because there's still representation there, mm -hmm. you know, but then you're, you're, you're changing that. Yeah. Switching a little bit, still staying on topic, but going into uh, looking at settings and whys. Uh, Tegan, I'm going to throw this over to you first, uh, just as I want to touch on Star Wars. But obviously, you know, Star Wars, we've got endless number of species and things and, and you know, aliens and, and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, thoughts on, you know, how you might still uh, factor in some uh, simple representation in a situation like that where you have, uh, you know, all these different types of creatures and things like that. Definitely. And I feel like uh, if you're even thinking about it as a game master, you're doing better than the Star Wars video games right now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go into that right now. Uh, but yeah, I think just like, kind of making sure that you're, I mean, that's a hard part of like juggling that is you've got humans and you want to kind of bring in, like, because your players are going to identify with the humans more because that's what they know. Uh, but you said it's a huge galaxy with like literally, if within the game, we've got like over. 200 or at least close to 200 different species yeah. players in the game. Uh, so kind of juggling that's hard. Uh, so it's one of those ones that just kind of 
I think Wikipedia for Star Wars is a great, great resource for that kind of looking up the different species facts and all of that, but kind of making it feel like diverse or have all your main NPCs be human. And if they are human, don't all have them be kind of the same gender, ethnicity, kind of mix it up a little bit there. Mm -hmm. uh, and definitely for a nice thing, especially if you're using legends and canon a little bit too, there's so much like backstory about all the different alien races and species lore and kind of all their cultural interactions uh, that you can kind of sprinkle those in and kind of without like doing a ton of research, but just kind of finding some unique back twids about them and kind of being able to bring them out and make them feel unique uh, without having to like spend your whole day on Wikipedia. You know, you're talking about having your players, you know, kind of diversifying among themselves, you know, not being all humans, or at least that they're all humans, that they're all different humans, right? That kind of concept. Um, and that goes to another other half as far as running a table, you know, you want your, your NPCs to be varied, you mm -hmm. know? You want those, you know, and of course it's going to fit somewhere in your setting. And then again, that comes back to your setting being inclusive as well and having the variety within it just intrinsically and not necessarily for the representation specifically, but just because it can be right. Yeah. Yeah. It, you don't want it to be forced or, you know, anything yeah, like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So over to you, Aaron, uh, we can start kind of dipping into New Old Varden, uh, the game mm -hmm. that you and, and your dad Ty are developing. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the thought process on, you know, because you have, uh, what are your, they're not races, uh, species, what do you call your? You call them cultures. Cultures, thank you. Yeah, so tell us how you, your thought process of, of thinking about those, developing those to kind of um, include some of these concepts we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. One of the first things, and this is probably because it's more closely relates personally, one of the first things I, I can talk about is the way the different cultures view gender and gender identity. So each of the cultures of Neovarden, they they I'll just give a little back, a little bit of background. They um they literally sort of manifested, appeared when this greater manifestation energy um sort of uh spread throughout this plane, this this dimension. When that happened, these these cultures that you can play as and are much bigger in the timeline of the game, um, they disappeared. And each of them very closely relates to um, like the factor of manifesting energy. So for instance, you have like the element energy concept where you could manifest elements that became the Leonai. And so the Leonai, they they don't, there's no gender concept. They are the elements personified mm -hmm. gender isn't really a factor for them they just kind of like do whatever and they have a great time being little kind of chaotic entities in their own right and then you have the the asgal who who do include gender and they allow for non-binary genders to be to be and some choose that um but their culture is largely binary you know and so you have this these differences based on um and again with the iksha who are sort of the concept of mystery personified by this manifesting energy. Um, similarly, you know, they have much more flexible gender ideologies and stuff like that. Um, so we, you know, we wanted to have a new of art and just at least like, and just with this one example, a variety of, um, of, of structures, I guess, of the ways that these different cultures not only exist among each other, but then relate to each other. And so, yeah, that's, that's just one again, one angle. And so then we talk about, you know, things like race and sexuality and stuff like that. Um, you know, that, that becomes pretty fluid. The sexuality becomes pretty fluid when you have different understandings of, of gender constructs right, with, right. between cultures. And it's not a, something that's a point of contention in the world. You know, it's, it's sort of an understood factor of, um, you know, how these cultures came to be among other kind of things. Um, as far as things like 
race and stuff go. I mean, even within the land plaque who are the most humanoid of the different cultures, there is, um, you know, there's white skin tones and dark skin tones and different face shapes and, and body shapes and stuff. And it's sort of, it's just like a um, intrinsic part of the land plaque people, right? And yeah. so you have the variety always kind of there available in the world or just, I mean, it's not available per se, it's just is. And then you have things like Sarnum who don't even have bodies. They're sort of these ghastly creatures that can inhabit a, and someone else's body, but otherwise don't have a form and don't have necessarily the same identifiers or the Woten who have a hive mind and they will address themselves as an aspect of the hive mind, not even as an individual, mm. you know, so there's a lot of different, um, identification factors, I guess. And for, for just across the, the plane itself. Yeah. Yeah. One question I would have kind of, especially with all the different species, I mean, or, uh, cultures having uh, kind of like these different representations mm-hmm. for players or even game masters too, what tips would you give to make them not feel just kind of sane? I know sometimes when people have, may have like kind of like, like do the fancy song, they have like a alpha dwarf and a human, and they all kind of sound like a human. Uh, what oh, would yeah. you uh, recommend like kind of making those feel unique in play? Um, that's a great question. One major aspect is like so each when we just when we define the cultures and like the broad sense and what they, you know, how they build their places and how they um, interact with each other, um, they all relate super closely to their originating energy, if you will. So the Asgal are of song and song sort of is all about expression and artist and, and art and like, that kind of stuff. So the Asgal are going to be more, um, they, they like do that, so to speak. They are very creative, you know, they're, they're more than just the artist per se. They are like, they kind of, they, I'm trying to think, cause I think in the game I played, I was an Asgal, uh, but just, you know, they carry themselves through, through like that artisticness, right? Right. Yeah. Just through that they kind carry of themselves. Yeah. expression and connection. And then on the other hand, so I'll bring up the Leonai again, who they don't, they don't even necessarily like live together. Like there are, there are colonies and cultures of Leonai, so to speak, not on those colonies of anything, but like, you know, there's like a Leonai cultural center where they mostly started but they, because of the nature of them, you know, being of the rock or of water or of the wind, they kind of scatter and they're, and they don't necessarily have the same allegiances to um, like homestead and stuff like that in the same sense. Um, then you have sort of on a whole other end, Selku, who are of lore, um, they have an entire structure that is all about gathering and sharing knowledge. And I guess so kind of rewind a little bit and kind of bring that closer to your question how do you make them all feel like not humans necessarily, right? Or just like humans with a different shape. And it's funny because it's almost hard to role play at times, but there's each of the cultures comes from that, that manifesting energy and is, and is aware of that enough to where it's like, like the Asgah, we're of song and expression and art, but it's just a factor of, you know, we just play a small sliver, we play a small role among the other cultures. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's the specialization of their origin, the the focus of it, that um, where I guess as a human, as like the human experience, you know, we tend to round ourselves out in some degree. And that still happens in New Obarn, especially as you evolve, you can access other disciplines, which are what these are. But then that's an, that's an evolution. You know, that's something that you grow and achieve to where you could write a character for D&D that kind of embraces all of the things. 
Is that, is that kind right. of making sense? Um, Definitely. Yeah. And so the, the world of new of art in itself, in terms of how the cultures relate, you know, theoretically, they each, they each cover for each other in a way to, to like a fully evolved person from Neovarden would be like a well-rounded human almost, you know what I mean? Um, where they understand the lore and they understand song and they understand, you know, body or mind or something, you know, um, all the different sort of disciplines. Yeah. Yeah. The different disciplines, they understand more together where they start off is, is, um, closer to their origin. Awesome. So, uh, definitely want to touch more on new Varden here quick, but as we wrap up, Aaron, uh, what any last uh, comments, thoughts uh, for the community, the listeners on, you know, on our topic, uh, you know, what would you hope that people walk away from, from our discussion uh, on representation and whatnot? I hope, I hope two things <laughs> and one's for game masters and one's for players. I hope that the game masters who have listened to this, you know, they, they come back to their material, their games, or, or if they're not running anything yet, you know, what they're hoping to run and they, and they are able to look at it and say, you know, Am I, do I have those allowances basically, you know, am I being flexible enough? Does my world offer diversity and, and all that, you know, is, is that there and that they feel able to, to open those doors should they be closed. Right. That's probably the most I could hope for. And then players alternatively on the other side, um, I hope they feel comfortable asking to open the doors should they be closed, you know, bringing a character concept or, or addressing an element of the world that they're playing in that connects to them in some way or another, you know, um, the same way that I use D&D to explore gender stuff, right? I hope others feel as comfortable and, and, and are able to and feel comfortable not just doing the thing, but also asking for it and and working with the game master to for those allowances. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as, as we have said many times, communication, uh, definitely mm-hmm. the key. So, you know, players, yeah. GMs definitely do that. That's awesome. Uh, beautiful. I love that. All right. Uh, well, let's wrap up here. It's been a wonderful conversation, but, uh, you have, uh, I believe, so this episode is, will be out on the 20th of June. And I do believe that is the launch date for new of Arden, correct? That is correct. Okay. Yeah, so it's... tell us, give us a quick, uh, little nutshell. We've touched on it here and there, but mm-hmm. give us a nutshell of what is new of Arden, the system, and then briefly about the, uh, campaign. Yes. Yes. So the new of Arden world is, um, it's something that actually was literally came from a dream. My dad sort of had a dream about it and we got together and, and started making it a real thing. There is this, this plane of new of Arden that was once sort of a garden of Eden, it had this it has a scar that what's called the sky crystal that uh, these interdimensional travelers saw emanating like energy and mystery sort of like what's that kind of thing they go in there to kind of see and learn about it um those people were the starnum when the starnum arrived they carried with them all the manifestation energy but as soon as they arrived to check out what was up with the sky crystal the plane itself sort of drew that energy from them and um, sort of homogenized it across the plane and effectively changing everything forever, right? They were drained of all of the energy except for the power of the mind, which is why they exist now like a ghastly form. And then other cultures appeared. And uh, we're about five generations past that period of time. And so we have lots of cultural centers. It's a lot about exploration. You kind of step into the role of one of these different um, entities, these these individuals from the different cultures and and explore and each each culture has its own reasons for exploring you have the iksha who who seek to know more about 
um, or not know more necessarily about what is a noble or undefinable in a way, but they want to experience it and engage with it, not just in their homes and when they're uh, commuting together, but out and about in the world. The ASGAL wants to find more inspiration and, and share more of their art and express and connect with others. Uh, Selku, you know, seeking to gather the information of what is what is and what has changed and share that and collect it, um, et cetera, et cetera. The, the land plaque, who are the original, who had lived there the whole time, they were very mechanical and they had a lot of fantastic inventions and things. And those became alive uh, with the manifesting energies. And the land plaque people um, sort of relocated after the fact. And so they have a whole element of like lost ruins and an ancient um, ancestry that that's sort of revered. And then of course the technology goes off to be that hive minds concept. And there's a, sort of like a mysterious prophecy they're trying to fulfill. And so these different cultures, you know, as a player, you'll step into and, and explore the land. And there's um, lots of creatures that have been altered by the energy as well. You know, it's not all sentient beings. There's all kinds of, of things to find and explore plant life. There's, um, what is my, one of my favorite concepts is um, the harvesting system. So you can go out, you can look for edible plants or, you know, um, find a monster to hunt down and then harvest it for parts and things. And then awesome. you can go craft and, and work with um, other, you know, entities in the culture to, to grow and to build your equipment, to build your skills and to just understand more of the world and, and then share it with the other denizens, if you will. And that's probably awesome. the, that's probably the short story. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're going to have Ty on another episode. So we'll probably dive into mm -hmm. some mechanics uh, with him at that point. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I played it myself, a lot of fun, uh, built around a D4, which I think is great because yes. it's a, you know, unique dice system in that regard. So, uh, but lastly, tell us, uh, where we can find the crowdfunding, uh, campaign. Yeah, so we are we have our preview live right now on GameFound. So you can go on GameFound, look for Neovarden, and follow us now and kind of get a little bit more of that gist of what it's all about. Um, yeah, we're we have that going now, and then in a few days we'll be uh, open for rewards and what have you um, for backing. Um, yes, we chose GameFound um, from Kickstarter, which was what we tried last year and it didn't work out. So this is our take two. And Game Founds is much more focused on, on, of course, games and getting games off the ground. And um, so that's where we're at. <laughs> Very cool. We'll definitely have a link in the show notes for the uh, campaign and all that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So. so I have to check out Game Found. I've really looked at that. And since I, I had to Google it myself, how do you spell Neovardi just in case anybody's oh, yes. curious the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. So it's spelled N-U-O-V-A-R. D-E-N. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, being on the episode with us today. Wonderful conversation yeah. and best of luck in the campaign. Again, we'll we'll have a link and, and hype you all up uh, with that, you know, but hope that really uh, pulls through this time around. So awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. All right. It. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. All right. Wonderful conversation uh, there with Aaron. Uh, super excited for their uh, New Ovarden game campaign there. So definitely check that out. Link in the show notes. See what that system is all about. Uh, as I said, we'll probably have Ty, uh, her dad, who has co-authored the system on later to talk about things. Uh, you know, great conversation down the road for that. Uh, looking ahead, 
likely going to try and do another Ask DJM. So scour the discords and otherwise to see what are your uh, questions. Uh, you can also submit those questions still as well and uh, talk about that. Uh, Tegan, anything that you've seen recently that we might uh, be up for discussion? Uh, definitely nothing off the top of my mind. But yeah, if you guys do have any pressing questions, uh, whether I, some things I usually see on the, the Star Wars 5e Discord, whether it be about companions, how the fighting style slash masteries interact, uh, how to run, uh, gotta, how to deal with having players having a ship in an open galaxy. Anything about that, like uh, throw them in, whether it be mechanical, how to run the game, uh, how to run the story, whatever you're working on, or whatever you're stressed right now, throw it in and we'd definitely be happy to see if we can help out a bit. Absolutely. Definitely love to discuss those things, you know, even outside of the specifics of the SW5E system, GMing in general, player questions too. I mean, if, on the player side, if you got a question, we can uh, look into that as well. Kind of like approaching the table. Yes. Love to hear it all. So keep an ear out for that at our next episode. And otherwise, uh, we will see you all on the next one. May the force be with you. May the force be with you.